Chapter One of Tom Sawyer Abroad. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Tom Sawyer Abroad by Huck Finn, edited by Mark Twain. Secondary title Tom Sawyer Abroad by Mark Twain. Chapter One Tom Seeks New Adventures. Do you reckon Tom Sawyer was satisfied after all them adventures? I mean, the adventures we had down the river, and the time we set the darky Jim free, and Tom got shot in the leg. No, he wasn't. It only just pisoned him for more. That was all the effect it had. You see, when we three came back up the river in glory, as you may say, from that long travel, and the village received us with a torchlight procession and speeches, and everybody hurrahed and shouted, and it made us heroes and that was what tom sawyer had always been hankering to be for a while he was satisfied everybody made much of him and he tilted up his nose and stepped around the town as though he owned it some called him tom sawyer the traveler and that just swelled him up fit to bust you see he laid over me and jim considerable because we only went down the river on a raft and came back by the steamboat but Tom went by the steamboat both ways. The boys envied me and Jim a good deal, but land, they just knuckled to the dirt before Tom. Well, I don't know. Maybe he might have been satisfied if it hadn't been for old Nat Parsons, which was postmaster, and powerful long and slim, and kind of good-hearted and silly and bald-headed on account of his age, and about the talkiest old creeter I ever see. For as much as thirty years he'd been the only man in the village that had a reputation. I mean, a reputation for being a traveler, and, of course, he was mortal proud of it, and it was reckoned that in the course of that thirty years he had told about that journey over a million times, and enjoyed it every time. And now comes along a boy not quite fifteen, and sets everybody admiring and gawking over his travels, and it just give the poor old man the high strikes. It made him sick to listen to Tom, and to hear the people say, My land! Did you ever! My goodness sakes alive! And all such things. But he couldn't pull away from it, any more than the fly that's got its hind leg fast in the molasses. And always, when Tom come to a rest, the poor old critter would chip in on his same old travels and work them for all they were worth. But they were pretty faded and didn't go for much, and it was pitiful to see. And then Tom would take another innings, and then the old man again, and so on and so on, for an hour and more, each trying to beat out the other. You see, Parson's travels happened like this. When he first got to be postmaster and was green in the business, there come a letter for somebody he didn't know, and there wasn't any such person in the village. Well, he didn't know what to do, nor how to act and there the letter stayed and stayed, week in and week out, till the bare sight of it gave him a conniption. The postage wasn't paid on it, and that was another thing to worry about. There wasn't any way to collect that ten cents, and he reckoned the government would hold him responsible for it, and maybe turn him out besides, when they found he hadn't collected it. Well, at last he couldn't stand it any longer. He couldn't sleep nights, he couldn't eat, he was thinned down to a shatter, 
yet he doesn't ask anybody's advice for the very person he asked for advice might go back on him and let the government know about the letter he had the letter buried under the floor but that did no good if he happened to see a person standing over the place it'd give him the cold shivers and loaded him up with suspicions and he would sit up that night till the town was as still and dark and then he would sneak there and get it out and bury it in another place of course people got to avoiding him and shaking their heads and whispering because the way he was looking and acting they judged he had killed somebody or done something terrible they didn't know what and if he had been a stranger they would have lynched him well as i was saying it got so he couldn't stand it any longer so he made up his mind to pull out for washington and just go to the president of the united states and make a clean breast of the whole thing not keeping back an atom and then fetch the letter out and lay it before the whole government and say now there she is do with me what you're a mind to though as heaven is my judge i am an innocent man and not deserving of the full penalties of the law and leaving behind me a family that must starve and yet hadn't a thing to do with it which is the whole truth and i can swear to it so he did it he had a little wee bit of steamboating and some stage coaching but all the rest of the way was horseback and it took him three weeks to get to washington he saw lots of land and lots of villages and four cities he was gone most eight weeks and there never was such a proud man in the village as he when he got back his travels made him the greatest man in all that region and the most talked about and people come from as much as thirty miles back in the country and from over in the illinois bottoms too just to look at him and there they'd stand and gawk and he'd gabble you never see anything like it well there wasn't any way now to settle which was the greatest traveler some said it was nat some said it was tom everybody allowed that nat had seen the most longitude but they had to give in that whatever tom was short in longitude he had made up in latitude and climate it was about a standoff so both of them had to whoop up their dangerous adventures and try to get ahead that way that bullet wound in tom's leg was a tough thing for nat parsons to buck against but he bucked the best he could and at a disadvantage too for tom didn't set still as he order done to be fair but always got up and sauntered around and worked his limp while nat was painting up the adventure that he had in washington for tom never let go that limp when his leg got well but practiced it nights at home and kept it good as new right along nat's adventure was like this i don't know how true it is maybe he got it out of a paper or somewhere but i will say this for him that he did know how to tell it he could make anybody's flesh crawl and he turned pale and hold his breath when he told it and sometimes women and girls got so faint they couldn't stick it out well it was this way as near as i can remember he come a-lopin into washington and put up his horse and shoved out to the president's house with his letter and they told him the president was up to the capitol and just going to start for philadelphia not a minute to lose if he wanted to catch him nat most dropped it made him so sick his horse was put up and he didn't know what to do but just then along comes a darky driving an old ramshackly hack and he sees his chance he rushes out and shouts a half a dollar if you get me to the capitol in half an hour and a quarter extra if you do it in twenty minutes done says the darky 
nat he jumped in and slammed the door and away they went a ripping and a tearing over the roughest road a body ever see and the racket of it was something awful nat passed his arms through the loop and hung on for life and death but pretty soon the hack hit a rock and flew up in the air and the bottom fell out and when it come down nat's feet was on the ground and he see he was in the most desperate danger if he couldn't keep up with the hack he was horrible scared but he laid into his work for all he was worth and hung tight to the arm loops and made his legs fairly fly he yelled and shouted to the driver to stop and so did the crowds along the street for they could see his legs spinning along under the coach and his head and shoulders bobbing inside through the windows and he was in awful danger but the more they all shouted the more the nigger whooped and yelled and lashed the horses and shouted don't you fret i's gwine to get you down time boss i's gwine to do it sure for you see he thought they were all hurrying him up and of course he couldn't hear anything for the racket he was making and so they went ripping along and everybody just petrified to see it and when they got to the capital at last it was the quickest trip that ever was made and everybody said so the horses laid down and nat dropped all tuckered out and he was all dust and rags and barefooted but he was in time and just in time and caught the president and give him the letter and everything was all right and the president give him a free pardon on the spot and nat give the nigger two extra quarters instead of one because he could see that if he hadn't had the hack he wouldn't have got there in time nor anywhere near it it was a powerful good adventure and tom sawyer had to work his bullet wound mighty lively to hold his own against it well by and by tom's glory got to paling down gradually on account of other things turning up for the people to talk about first a horse race and on top of that a house afire and on top of that the circus and on top of that the eclipse and that started a revival same as it always does and by that time there wasn't any more talk about tom so to speak and you never see a person so sick and disgusted pretty soon he got to worrying and fretting right along day in and day out and when i asked him what was he in such a state about he said it most broke his heart to think how time was slipping away and him getting older and older and no wars breaking out and no way of making a name for himself that he could see now that is the way boys is always thinking but he was the first one i ever heard come out and say it so then he set to work to get up a plan to make him celebrated and pretty soon he struck it and offered to take me and jim in tom sawyer was always free and generous that way there's a plenty of boys that's mighty good and friendly when you've got a good thing but when a good thing happens to come their way they don't say a word to you and try to hog it all that warn't ever tom sawyer's way i can say that for him there's plenty of boys that will come hankering and groveling around you when you've got an apple and beg the core off of you but when they've got one and you beg for the core and remind them how you give them a core one time they say thank you most to death but there ain't a goin to be no core but i notice they always get come up with all you got to do is to wait well we went out in the woods on the hill and tom told us what it was it was a crusade what's a crusade i says he looked scornful the way he always done when he was ashamed of a person and says huck finn do you mean to tell me you don't know what a crusade is 
"'No,' says I, "'I don't, and I don't care to another. I've lived till now and done without it, and had my health too. But as soon as you tell me, I'll know, and that's soon enough. I don't see any use in finding out things and clogging up my head with them when I mayn't ever have any occasion to use them. There was Lance Williams. He learned how to talk Choctaw here till one come and dug his grave for him. Now then, what's a crusade? But I can tell you one thing before you begin. If it's a patent right, there's no money in it. Bill Thompson, he— Patent right, says he. I never see such an idiot. Why, a crusade is a kind of war. I thought he must be losing his mind. But no, he was in real earnest, and went right on, perfectly calm. A crusade is a war to recover the holy land from the Paynim. Which holy land? Why, the holy land. There ain't but one. What do we want of it? Why, can't you understand? It's in the hands of the Paynim, and it's our duty to take it away from them. How did we come to let them get hold of it? We didn't come to let them get hold of it. They always had it. Why, Tom, then it must belong to them, don't it? Why, of course it does. Who said it didn't? I studied over it, but couldn't seem to get at the right of it no way. I says, It's too many for me, Tom Sawyer. If I had a farm and it was mine and another person wanted it, would it be right for him to— Oh, shucks, you don't know enough to come in when it rains, Huck Finn. It ain't a farm. It's entirely different. You see, it's like this. They own the land, just the mere land, and that's all they do own. But it was our folks, our Jews and Christians, that made it holy, and so they haven't any business to be there defiling it. It's a shame, and we ought not to stand it a minute. We ought to march against them and take it away from them. Why, it does seem to me it's the most mixed-up thing I ever see. Now, if I had a farm and another person— Don't I tell you it hasn't got anything to do with farming? Farming is business, just— common, low-down business. That's all it is. It's all you can say for it. But this is higher. This is religious, and totally different. Religious to go and take the land away from people that owns it? Certainly. It's always been considered so. Jim, he shook his head and says, "'Mars Tom, I reckon day's a mistake about it, Summers. Day most surely is.' I's religious myself. I knows plenty religious people, but I ain't run across none that acts like that. It made Tom hot, and he says, Well, it's enough to make a body sick, such mullet-headed ignorance. If either of you'd read anything about history, you'd know that Richard Curdlone, and the Pope, and Godfrey de Boulain, and lots more of the most noble-hearted and pious people in the world, hacked and hammered at the Paynims for more than two hundred years trying to take their land away from them, and swum neck-deep in blood the whole time. And yet, here's a couple of sap-headed country yahoos out in the backwoods of Missouri, setting themselves up to know more about the rights and wrongs of it than they did. Talk about cheek! Well, of course, that put a more different light on it, and me and Jim felt pretty cheap and ignorant, and wished we hadn't been quite so chipper. I couldn't say nothing, and Jim, he couldn't for a while. And then he says, Well, then, I reckon it's all right. Because if they didn't know, they ain't no use for poor ignorant folks like us to be trying to know. And so, if it's our duty, we got to go and tackle it, and then do the best we can. Same time, I feel as sorry for them paintings as Mars Tom. 
the hard part going to be to kill folks that a body hain't been acquainted with and that ain't done him no harm that's it you see if we was to go amongst em just we three and say we's hungry and ask em for a bite to eat why maybe dey's just like the other people don't you reckon dey is why dey'd give it i know dey would and den then what well mars tom my idea is like this it ain't no use we can't kill dem poor strangers dat ain't doin us no harm till we've had practice i knows it perfectly well mars tom deed i knows it perfectly well but if we takes a axe or two just you and me and hook and slips across de river tonight arter de moon's gone down and kills dat sick family dat's over on the sny and burns de house down and oh you make me tired says tom i don't want to argue any more with people like you and huck finn it's always wandering from the subject and ain't got any more sense than to try to reason out a thing that's pure theology by the laws that protect real estate now that's just where tom sawyer weren't far jim didn't mean no harm and i didn't mean no harm we knowed well enough that he was right and we was wrong and all we was after was to get at the how of it and that was all and the only reason he couldn't explain it so we could understand it was because we was ignorant yes and pretty dull too i ain't denying that but land that ain't no crime i should think but he wouldn't hear no more about it just said if we had tackled the thing in the proper spirit he would have raised a couple of thousand knights and put them in steel armor from head to heel and made me a lieutenant and jim a sutler and took the command himself and brushed the whole paynim outfit into the sea like flies and come back across the world in a glory like sunset but he said we didn't know enough to take the chance when we had it and he wouldn't ever offer it again and he didn't when he once got set you couldn't budge him but i didn't care much i am peaceable and don't get up rows with people that ain't doing nothing to me i allowed if the painting was satisfied i was and we would let it stand at that now tom he got all that notion out of walter scott's book which he was always reading and it was a wild notion because in my opinion he never could have raised the men and if he did as like as not he would have got licked i took the book and read all about it and as near as i could make it out most of the folks that shook farming to go crusadin had a mighty rocky time of it end of chapter one